Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. So why watch that TV talk? Well, 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 listeners, we're back at it with another TV talk. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. You know what? Here we go. We've got a season premiere, series premiere, season finale, and a series finale. Ooh. No, no. Yeah, we've got one coming for you. Now, I don't think I've watched any of these shows <laughs> totally gonna be the critic except for one i watched some of something but nothing like he has we're gonna start with a season premiere it's back good girls oh Ooh. the trio the trio's back they're still robbing murdering i don't know what all they're doing i see all stuff all kinds of stuff happening in the trailer dead bodies being thrown in dumpsters <laughs> I just don't know where the show is, what it's doing, but you, the critic, does. It's on NBC, second season. Where are we at here? Well, the beginning of the second season picks up where the first season left off. Uh, Beth, played by Christina Hendricks, and her unreliable and untrustworthy husband, Dean. Oh, Dean. Played by Matthew Lillard. Lillard. They're in the midst of a run-in with Rio played by Manny Montana, the drug dealer in league with Beth. (laughs) And let's just say that it doesn't end well. But why does Beth hesitate? Ah, yeah. When she could have saved her husband in that situation, hmm? And speaking of situations, there's Beth's sister, Annie, played by Mae Whitman, who's back in the sack with her ex and baby daddy who's still married. (laughs) Um, okay. So what's going to come of that? Plus, there's Beth's and Annie's friend Ruby, played by Retta, whose cop husband knows all about what's going on and wants Ruby to snitch as a result. But will but will he demand that she do so, or is he going to help out the good girls instead? Re- now remember, their daughter's life is on the line, literally. Also, what about Mary Pat? played by Allison Tolman, who's caused all kinds of trouble by extorting the good girls. And speaking of trouble, will the good girls continue to find ways to stay out of the FBI's clutches? After all, Annie's former creep of a boss at the supermarket that they stuck up twice knows what's going on and has an FBI connection. He also has a connection with Mary Pat that just might complicate things. And so... Here are the bottom line questions. Will the good girls ever find a way out of this mess? Or must they continue to find ways into more and more criminality to survive? Criminality. Now look, after starting out as ridiculous and bad, good girls has become ridiculous and entertaining. Oh, okay. The cast is good enough to overcome most of the writing problems and there are just 10 episodes per season on NBC. 
It's a show that begs you to turn off your mind and follow its characters down whatever rabbit hole they're in. And so the good girl's mantra should be this. Don't think, just watch. And that's it. Is this a summer hit? Is this, Should this be in the summer? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. That's it. So listeners, hear that now. <laughs> if you love good old-fashioned summer TV, then the good girls may be for you. Now, American Gods, oh dear lord, is back. How, when, where, <laughs> stars, how, I don't know. But <laughs> we've got a new American Gods. And I'm saying that only because we don't have the showrunners for the previous season anymore. It's a brand new um, team leading the uh, American Gods uh, crew and cast and all of that stuff. So the question is, is that for the better or for the worse? Wow. Okay. Now, before we get to that, during the first season of American Gods, we were introduced to two warring factions of deities. The old gods, you know, the traditional ones, and the new gods, the ones who personify what people really worship nowadays. And we found out that the god who's galvanizing the old gods into action is actually Odin, a.k.a. Mr. Wednesday, yep, played by Ian McShane. Oh, Ian. Wait a minute. Ian McShane is playing that? Yes. <laughs> and by the first season's end, Mr. Wednesday had finally recruited ex-con Shadow Moon, played by Ricky Whittle, into his service in full. Shadow now believes in Odin, which is important because the key to any god's strength is how much people believe in him or her. Without belief, yeah, without that belief, there is no god. Oh, almost like Tinkerbell. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so it's up to Mr. Wednesday slash Odin to bring the old gods, including the goddess of love, played by This Is Us's Yatide Badaki and others, Aww. back to the fore with the help of leprechauns in the hopes that they can reclaim their prominence. What is this show? But they have a big old fight on their hands, Ref, because the new gods are clearly in control. Just look at all the likes and followers they have. And their big kahuna is the new god of globalization, played by Crispin Glover. <laughs> uh, <laughs> along with him is the new god of technology and the new goddess of media, who was played by Gillian Anderson in season one, but has been renamed the new goddess of new media for season two, and is now played by a different actress. <laughs> but here's the ultimate question. Why was it so important for Odin to have Shadow by his side? After all, it was Odin who ensured that Shadow was imprisoned and that Shadow's wife, Lara, played by Emily Browning, was killed, though she was subsequently resurrected. And that leads to this. What's going to happen when Shadow finds all of this out? Well, at the start of the second season, Shadow's still traveling with Mr. Wednesday, but they're also traveling with Shadow's zombie wife and Mad Sweeney, who's Mr. Wednesday's leprechaun employee and is played by Orange is the New Black's Pablo Schreiber. What is happening here? And they, along with the new gods, are continuing to gear up for battle and so on and so forth. And now, before I get to my review. Please. As you were hinting, I got to point out that, according to The Hollywood Reporter, this show had a lot of off-screen turmoil leading up to its second season and through it. 
The original showrunners, as you said, left after season one. You can guess why. Along with Gillian Anderson and Kristen Chenoweth, gone. And after writing and budgetary problems, the new showrunner was let go after them, leaving two of the show's producers as the ones to finish the second season without a new showrunner. Okay. But that's not all, because other entities behind the show have been at odds, and actors have been improvising and rewriting their dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) And so the question is, does all of that friction show up on the screen in the second season's first episode? That's all we have so far. Tell us. Well, first of all, it wasn't like the first season was spectacular anyway. It had its moments, but it also had other moments. So keep that in mind when I say this about the opening of season two. Once again, the main character, Shadow, is a big bore. We don't know exactly why it's so important yet, and I don't care to know why in the future. Also, this episode shows that without any moments that conjure this show's trademark seductive atmosphere and are truly transporting, American Gods really doesn't have much going for it. It's a bunch of people talking about who knows what, and none of the main storylines connect to form something compelling, which is a shame because the concept of what it means to be a god nowadays has potential. So, if you like the atmosphere that the best moments of season one delivered, just know that while the aesthetic is the same, it looks like season two won't quite hit the same mark. Even still, I do have to say that I'm now clear on how I should handle the show moving forward. I should do what the original showrunners, Jillian Anderson and Kristen Chenoweth did, leave. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, good thing we have a series premiere after that. Maybe you'll like this. This is on Netflix and it's by someone we've come to know and love, maybe? Yes. It's called Afterlife. Now, if Ricky's attached to this and it's called Afterlife and we know his stance on that subject, I'm assuming it's going to be interesting. Mm. Now, we have Tony, played by Ricky Gervais. He's a depressed misanthrope. He has problems with people and people have problems with him. From, yeah. some, from some random guy in the park who wants him to follow the rules to a new postman in the area, no one can escape his understated wrath. In addition... There are his co-workers at the local newspaper who all disappoint him in some way. They're either too nice like his boss or too incorrigible. However, Tony wasn't always like this. You see, not too long ago, his wife died after a battle with cancer. Oh, yeah. whoa, whoa. And so one of the only things that can bring a smile to his face is watching recordings of her. In particular, a recording she made for him just before her death. So the question is, how can Tony continue to cope with the loss of his wife? After all, he's lost his will to live, which hasn't been helped by his visits to a psychologist. And his father has some sort of dementia. However, he does seem to have some respect for his father's nurse, who isn't afraid to set him straight. And when he encounters others who've experienced loss, his mood changes. He listens and has compassion. So how long will Tony's quest to do and say whatever he wants last? Will he succeed in pushing everyone away? Or will someone be able to help him find the person he once was? Now look, if you know Ricky Gervais, and you can imagine the kind of humor on display in this show. Oh, yes. However, 
everything's rather subdued due to who Tony is. Instead of fighting against Tony's depressed state, the show succumbs to it, which I found unfortunately. Mm. So as a result, I think it'll be difficult for most people to enjoy Afterlife as a comedy, whether you call it a dark comedy or not. And while there are only six episodes that each last no more than around 30 minutes, I don't think many people will have the patience to wait for a shift in the narrative because it's somewhere in between comedy and drama without being sharp enough to take advantage of either. Even still, I wouldn't call it bad exactly. I just call it sluggish. Nobody wants sluggish. Mm. Um, We have a season finale. Shameless is bowing out for the season. Now, well, hold on. It's renewed for season 10. Relax. But we are saying goodbye to one of its original characters and arguably one of the most beloved characters who brings some sort of sanity to that insane (laughs) situation (laughs) that I've been listening to for the past, what, several, I, I can't, we, I, I've heard so much about Shameless. I have not watched it myself. I don't feel like I need to because I've got the critic and the critic's going to get us all acquainted with what we can expect going into season 10. Yeah. Uh, and look, we've come to the end of the road for Fiona, as you said, played by the consistently spot on Emmy Rossum. And so I'm going to focus my review on her because she deserves it. So let's start with this. After finally riding high as a property owner and real estate investor, Fiona lost it all this season. She also found, yeah, yeah. She also found out the truth about a boyfriend, another one of them. (laughs) She's always doing this. All of which led her to drinking way too much. Now keep in mind that her father and mother, along with two of her brothers, have all had severe problems with drugs and alcohol. And as a result, she lost her job as the manager of a diner, and she punched out a woman for good reasons, which landed her in police custody. Oh no, Fiona! And then after spiraling down to rock bottom, she was kicked out of the family home, which technically she owns, by the very brother who received so much of her help throughout his lifetime. (laughs) It got so bad for Fiona that she had to find a place to sleep with Frank, her 'er ne'er-do-well father, played by William H. Macy, who, by the way, always manages to make sense out of Frank's nonsense. (laughs) And so none of it was good. However, in the penultimate episode of Shameless's ninth season, an old acquaintance of Fiona's just happens to appear in Fiona's new place of work, a gas station. And after seeing how far Fiona has fallen, he offers her a deal that she can't refuse. And in the season finale, Fiona has a choice to make as a result. She can either stay where she is or go. Yes, she can now branch out on her own if she wants to. And so throughout the episode, she looks at everybody around her and thinks, I love these people, but I need to get out of here. Mm. And then after she settles her court case and lets her thoughts settle, she does just that. And I'm sure, Raft, that I'm not the only one who's sad to see her go. Now look, let's get to my review. Overall, I can't say that the ninth season of Shameless was one of my favorites. Okay. While they still did a good job, no doubt about that, 
I just don't think that many of the storylines were all that interesting. The cast was solid as always, but the writing just didn't take us forward far enough in my opinion. And I think one of the main reasons why is that it just wasn't fun to watch Fiona spiral downward during this uh, season's second half. She's the one character, as you mentioned earlier, that we've rooted for throughout this show's entire run, so it was tough to see her fail miserably. And those ever-mounting failures lasted too long. I mean, we know that she's going to snap out of it somehow in the end. Even still, it was all worth it. It was worth it to see Fiona's and Frank's farewell, which was written and directed by showrunner John Wells and acted by Emmy Rossum and William H. Macy with simplicity and honesty. It was fittingly realistic and straightforward. And so I have to say that I'll still be watching when Shameless returns for its 10th season, but I'll be looking to see whether they can keep this ship moving forward without Emmy as Fiona. It's possible because this show has been good to great for much of its run, and they still have William H. Macy, among others, including the return of Cameron Monaghan as Ian. Also, they'll still be able to focus on multiple ridiculous, yet at times poignant storylines, from Frank scamming hospitals, to Carl and Debbie fighting over Carl's girlfriend, to Kevin Veronica coming to grips with severe family planning, to Lip contending with potential fatherhood, and to young Liam throwing up his hands in disgust and hightailing it out of there to go live with his former bully turned friend in his former bully's grandmother's house in an effort to embrace his blackness along with some good old home cooking. (laughs) Okay, however, replacing what Emmy Rossum brought to the table won't be easy. Oh, we'll have to see season 10 next season to see if they are really going to be able to stay shameless. (laughs) Now, moving on, and we have to kind of take a moment of silence for this one. Oh, my goodness. One of your dear shows, it is, it's been canceled. Oh. And you have very faithfully took us through every season of Crashing that is on HBO. The poor comedian who seems to crash more than he does fly, but things may be looking up for this one. Hey. How do I... Oh, how does he say goodbye? Now, (laughs) in Crashing's third and final season, Pete, played by creator Pete Holmes, continues to fail up ever so slightly. Despite being rejected by the legendary comedy seller in New York City, he continues to improve as a comedian. And after stints on the college comedy circuit and on the Christian comedy circuit, yeah, you heard that right. Pete seems to be finding his particular brand of comedy, which is nice to see. However, his personal life is still in a shambles. You see, outside of his peculiar issues with his parents, especially his mama, Ah. Pete managed to find a new girlfriend. Oh, yes. Uh, Oh, okay. But this new girlfriend wasn't the most agreeable of sorts, shall we say? Okay. In effect, she crash-landed into Pete's life and was determined to shake things up. My goodness. Now, this certainly didn't end well. Just like Pete's marriage didn't end well, and like Pete's first relationship post-marriage didn't end well. However... He's still on speaking terms with his wife and with the ridiculous hippie she cheated on him with. Oh my gosh. And he's still on speaking terms with his ex-girlfriend, Allie, played by Jamie Lee, 
who's finding her own success as a comedian. <laughs> and so by the end of this series, here's the question. Just where does Pete land? Well, I'll tell you this. No in pun fi- intended. <laughs> <laughs> in the final episode, Pete learns from his perfectly confounding manager played with deadpan seriousness by Zach Cherry that a big time comedian wants Pete to open for him. I mean, this is a big deal. Oh my goodness. So just what could go wrong? Oh boy. Well, of course I'm not gonna tell you. But just know that I was talking back to my TV while I was watching it unfold. (laughs) In addition, I will say that crashing ends on a wonderfully fitting note, even though I'd rather that it not end at all. The final episode was funny, of course, but also nail-bitingly tense and awkward at times, which is this show's superpower. A bit sad when it was warranted and appropriately hopeful at the end. Bravo to that, and now for my review. Here's the thing. The essence, the essence of Crashing is best encapsulated by the scenes involving the comedy. It was an odd joy to watch Pete attempt to navigate the comedy world in the presence of real comics and his fellow comics jokes, which there were plenty of. In addition, the maturation of Pete's stand-up routines was so well done that it felt organic. While you knew that they had to have planned how to develop Pete's comedy over the seasons, you never saw the strings of that planning in the actual show. The progression was natural, and they, especially Pete and executive producer Judd Apatow, deserve praise for that. High praise. However, this show's comparative drawback was the relationship stuff. Two out of three of Pete's romantic relationships certainly annoyed me. For instance, in the first season, I think they relied on his marriage a little too much. While I liked how the marriage set the stage for the show, and while his marriage was certainly an important component, I mean, this was based on Pete's real life after all. Oh my gosh. I just think that a little more comedy would have been better, but I get it. When it comes to Pete's relationship this season, though, look, I found it a complete drag for the most part. Uh. Unlike Pete's relationship with Allie last season, which I found successful, this relationship got in the way of the comedy, which we didn't need. Now, I think a part of the problem was that Artie Lang wasn't available for most of this season because of his very real off-screen problems, which created a void that needed to be filled. So that was a shame. Mm. But I just wish that they would have found a way to keep the focus on the comedy a little more. Regardless, though, I've been a big fan of Crashing from the very beginning, and I really enjoyed each of its three seasons. There wasn't another show quite like it on TV, and I'm certainly going to miss it. And I have to say that they nailed Mm. the final episode. What a way to go out, and thank you. Mm. Thank you to all the shows that we've reviewed. Now, listen, you can catch all of that on our website, whywatchthat.com. You know the critics are going to keep you in the know about some of these season premieres and series premieres. TV ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Neither are we. Huh. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.